We're glad that you're here today. It's a beautiful day. Thankful for the opportunity to be together. I guess I should say it's beautiful on the inside, not so much on the outside, but we're still glad that you're here today. We're very grateful for the opportunity to be together today, and we hope that the time that we spend together will be profitable to all. We're very grateful. To those of you who are visiting, as always, we want you to know how much we appreciate your presence. Very grateful that you have chosen to be here today, and we pray that God will bless you as you worship with us this hour. I do want to invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as we think about standing before the judgment seat of Christ. The song that we sang a moment ago, I think, really provides us with a gateway to this lesson. And that is simply, are you ready for the judgment day? Hard to imagine that one day we will all stand, as Paul said, before the judgment seat of Christ. That day known only to God, but it is a certainty that one day we will all be ushered into the presence of God, and as Paul said, we will give an account of the deeds that have been done in this physical body. So today we ask this question, are you ready for the judgment day? Listen, if you would, to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul writes, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men." The lesson that we have today, this lesson, is a very simple lesson, and I want us to begin by, first of all, talking about the people who will be judged. Now, Paul said in a very concise way that we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. A couple of thoughts here. The first is the judgment will be unavoidable. There are two things that are absolutely certain. The first would be the appointment of death. The Hebrew writer said in chapter 9, verse 27, it is appointed unto man once to die. Now we talk about the brevity of life, and I think as we grow older in life, it becomes a more sobering thought because we realize time is running out. Many years ago, Job said, man born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. James, as you recall, compared life to a vapor. He said it appears for a little while and then ultimately it vanishes away. And so in light of the brevity of life and the fact that death is a reality, the psalmist said, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. I think as I grow older in life, I come to appreciate the fact that every day is a blessing. And we need to do our best to appreciate every day and to use, to maximize the time that we have here upon planet Earth. Because as the Hebrew writer said, there is the appointment of death. But then there is also an appointed day. The writer of Hebrews said in chapter 9, verse 27, it is appointed unto man once to die. After this, he said, comes the judgment. Paul in 
preaching to the people in Athens many, many years ago, talked about the nature of the one true living God. And Paul would say in, summa in summation to that great sermon in the long ago, he said that God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Jesus, on a number of occasions, talked about raising people up at the last day. That appointed day is the judgment day. Now, we don't know when that will be. We understand that when the Lord Jesus comes, we will be ushered into his presence. And at that point in time, we will give an account of the deeds done in the body. So, the judgment is unavoidable. But then also, the judgment is universal. When you begin to sift through the Scriptures, and you could begin in the book of Matthew and go forward, Jesus talks a lot about the judgment. For example, in Matthew chapter 11, we find Jesus talking about certain cities that would appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He begins by talking about Chorazin and Bethsaida, Capernaum, Tyre and Sidon, Sodom and Gomorrah, and so on. The cities that will one day stand before God in the judgment. And then I think about how the Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25 in verse 31 and 32 that all nations would be gathered before Him. Many of the great nations or empires or kingdoms that have welded tremendous power on earth will one day be ushered into the presence of God. That great Assyrian kingdom will one day be called into the judgment. The people who lived under the reign of Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire, they too will one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The Grecians and their great empire, Alexander, Alexander the Great and others, Alexander the Great, that great military general in days gone by, they will be at the judgment. And then the Roman Empire, they will be at the judgment. More specifically, America will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And then in Acts chapter 17, Paul said, the world will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But now, listen to what Paul said. Now, we can, you know, it's one thing to talk about cities and nations and rulers and emperors, etc. It's another thing when it becomes very personal. Paul said, verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's you. That would be inclusive of myself. Paul's saying, look, we are all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. To the saints in Rome, Paul said, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess to God. So then we must each give an account of himself to God. So one day we will stand in the presence of God. Now, you know, you think about all the people that have ever lived, going all the way back to Adam. Wonder how many millions and billions of people have populated planet Earth in days gone by. What's the largest crowd that you've ever been in? I have been in a football stadium that holds about 100,000 people. That's a lot of folks, isn't it? I mean, when you're in the presence of 100,000 people, you're talking about a lot of people. But can you imagine standing in the presence of God 
And as Jesus said, all nations, as Paul said, the world, we will all be there personally, individually. What what a powerful thought. Now there's a second thing I want you to see. First we think about the people who will be judged. But what about the person who will judge? I want to begin by saying that the authoritative Savior will one day judge us. You see, Jesus has the authority to judge. For example, in John chapter 5 and verse 27, Jesus said that the Father has given him the authority to execute judgment. Now listen again to Paul in verse 10. We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Can you imagine standing in the presence of the judge of all the earth? You know, today Jesus is identified as the Savior of man, isn't he? We look to Jesus as the one who invites us to enjoy the blessings of salvation. We know the Lord Jesus came, lived, and died so that we might live eternally with him. As long as we're here on planet earth, as long as there is life in our human body, we have the opportunity to look to Jesus as our Savior. But there's a day coming when the Lord Jesus will no longer be our Savior, but rather he will be our judge. Can you imagine standing in the presence of Jesus? What are you going to say when your name is called? And you are, as we say, front and center. You know, Paul said, every knee shall bow. We're going to bow in the presence of Jesus the judge. And as Paul said, we're going to give an account of the deeds done in the body. Your name will be called. And you're going to be ushered before that great throne. John in the Revelation in chapter 20 said he saw the Lord sitting on that throne, and he said the small and great stood before him. That would include you. You know that great host of people that we talk about at the judgment? All the people that have ever lived? Again, we talk about cities and nations and prominent people and the fact that they will one day be at the judgment. But to know that We will be there individually. Jesus has the authority to judge us. But then I think about the absolute standard by which he will judge us. There is an absolute standard that will be opened on the day of judgment. The Lord Jesus is going to judge us not on the basis of what we think, He's not going to judge us on the basis of how we feel. He's not going to take a poll and see what politicians think. No, the Lord Jesus is going to judge us, but there will be an absolute standard by which he uses to judge us. And do you know what that standard is? It's called the Bible. John in Revelation chapter 20 said, I saw the the dead, small and great, standing before God. And he said, the books were opened. 
God's holy word. Paul writes in Romans chapter 2 at verse 2, Paul said, we know that the judgment of God is according to truth. Somebody asked the question, what is truth? You know, Pontius Pilate asked that question. And Jesus answers it in John 17, 17. Sanctify them in truth. He said, your word is truth. Jesus has the authority to judge us. Not only does he have the authority to judge us, he has the ability to judge us. He's not going to make any mistakes. And he's going to judge us on the basis of how we've lived in light of this book that we call the Bible. He's going to judge our conversations in daily life by the Bible. Somebody says, well, how do you know that? I mean, how do you know that the Lord Jesus is really concerned about what I say in life? Well, listen to what James said in chapter 2, verse 12. James said, so speak as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Jesus said, by your words you will be justified. By your words you will be condemned. He would go on to say, Every idle word that men shall speak, listen to him, they will give an account thereof in the day of judgment. That means every single syllable that I utter, I'll give an account for. How's your speech? Would you be ashamed to stand before the Lord, Je the Lord Jesus on the day of judgment because of your speech? You know, when the Lord Jesus judges us, He's going to judge us in light of this Word. And Paul said, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. And we talk about using profanity. Do you use profanity? We talk about gossip and slander and talking about other people behind their back. Did you know the Lord Jesus will judge us? If we have a problem with gossip and if we are backbiters and we're using our tongue in a destructive way, it's going to come back on us. Not only will He judge us on the basis of our daily conversations, but He's going to judge us on the basis of our daily conduct. That means how I conduct myself here on planet Earth what I do, where I go, the people I associate with, the activities that I find myself involved in. Could I ask you a question this morning? Do you run with a good crowd or do you run with a rogue crowd? If you run with the devil's people, it's going to be really tough to live right. Paul said, evil companionship corrupts good morals. There's a lot to be said for the company that we keep. If we're running with a rogue crowd, then in all probability, we're going to engage in activities that are not wholesome. And then I think about our activities. Think about all the things that you do in this life. Are you honest? Are you ethical? Are you a person of integrity? Are you a person of 
holiness? Are you living a righteous life? Are you striving to the best of your ability to live day in, day out for the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Do you love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind? Could you say with Paul, for to me to live is Christ. My life is all about, could you say that? Could you say my life is all about the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, as you stand before the judgment seat one day, as I contemplate standing before that judgment seat, I understand that I'm going to bow in the presence of God And he's going to judge me on the basis of my conversations. He's going to judge me on the basis of my conduct. The Bible talks about if we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. But John prefaced that by saying, if we say that we walk in the light, but he said, if we walk in darkness, he said, we lie and do not the truth. And the bottom line is, we are either living for the Lord or we are leaving the Lord out of our daily lives. So what about you? As you contemplate standing before the throne of God, and I know, look, I get it. For many of us, it's uncomfortable to think about standing before God. And yet, we talk about standing before the judgment seat of of God, and sometimes, sometimes we push it to the back of our mind. Sometimes we say, I'd rather not think about it. I understand that. But listen again to what Paul said. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. What's the verdict going to be for you when you stand before him? Now, as I contemplate the fact that I'm going to be judged on the basis of what this book says, don't you think that it would behoove me to live according to Scripture? I mean, wouldn't that stand to reason? I mean, you think about how people today seem unconcerned about what the Bible says. Think about how many in our nation today do not want God's Word in their lives and really live as if there is no God. Because in Psalm 14, when the psalmist said, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God, what he was saying is, no God for me. A lot of folks live that way. But you know, as we say, there's a payday someday. One day we're going to stand before the Lord. One day we're going to bow in His presence. And God in heaven is going to open this book, and He's going to judge us out of the contents of His Word. How will you fare? The psalmist said many years ago, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. No hidden hidden agendas. The Lord Jesus did not speak in vague and abstract terms. Very, very concise, very clear 
as we would say, very straightforward. And what the Bible says is, we better know this book because it's going to judge us. Now, there's a third thing I want you to see in our study. It has to do with preparation for the judgment. Preparation for the judgment. I want to begin by first and foremost talking about the motivation. What would motivate us to be ready for the judgment? I mean, when you think about the judgment to come, I understand it's easy to just put it out of our mind. What's the old saying? Out of sight, out of mind. It's easy to dismiss it, to say, you know what, that's not for, that, that's not for way out, not until way out in the future, so I don't really have to think about it today. I get that. But what ought to motivate us to be prepared for the judgment? Won't you listen to what Paul said? Go back again and read verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now look at verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, Paul said, we persuade men. Okay, what is it, Paul? What are you saying? What ought to motivate me to prepare my life to one day stand in the presence of God and give an account of my life? Listen to him very carefully. The terror of the Lord. The word terror here is the word that we get our term phobia from. Sometimes people talk about their phobias, their fears in life. And Paul's saying, okay, let me tell you what. You might think you're something here on planet Earth, and you might think that, that the judgment is some insignificant deal. Well, Paul said, let me tell you what. You need to understand something. One day you're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. What ought to motivate you to get your life right is the terror of the Lord. Now, we talk about the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, and there are many wonderful attributes of Almighty God. And we talk about Jesus, the friend of sinners, the one who wants to be our friend, the one who loves us, who gave himself for us, one who demonstrated compassion and concern. And yet, Paul here is saying, if you want something that will motivate you to live right, here it is, the terror of the Lord. Do you remember what Paul said, Romans chapter 11? Behold the goodness and severity of God. On the one hand, God is good. On the other hand, God can be severe. And Paul here is saying, when you contemplate the judgment, if you want something that will motivate you to live day in and day out for the Lord Jesus Christ, if you want to know what will motivate you to obey the gospel, here it is the terror of the Lord. What about preparing ourselves for the judgment to come? Did you know that there is only one person who can save? That's the Lord Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, John 14, 6. Luke said, neither is there salvation in any other. 
There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus is the source, the absolute source of salvation, isn't He? He's the only way. There is no other way. So you think about Jesus. He is the person who saves. But then to consider the fact that Jesus has outlined a plan whereby we can be saved. That plan is inclusive and exclusive. It is inclusive of all people. He wants all men to be saved, come to the knowledge of the truth. But it is exclusive in the sense there's just one plan. Please listen. There is just one way. Now we talk about narrow. The road to heaven is very narrow. It's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. Enter in at the straight gate. It's a very narrow road. So what would I need to do to become a child of God so that when I stand before God, I'm ready to meet Him in the judgment? Here it is. Number one, I have to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. I have to come... I have to come to the realization that Jesus is exactly who He claimed to be, the Son of God. Do you believe that? Jesus said, except you believe that I am He, you'll die in your sins. Jesus said, if you die in your sins where I am, there you cannot come. Now I want you to think about standing before God. And you're standing before Him and you are lost in sin. The Lord Jesus is going to heaven with His people. He's going to say to those on the right, Come, blessed are my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. If you're lost in sin, Jesus is going to say, Depart from me, you cursed, and everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Do you believe Jesus is who he claimed to be? Would you be willing to repent of your sins? You know, Paul said, The times of ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. On, on the day of Pentecost, Peter said, to multitudes of people, repent means change your life. You can't continue living in sin and expect to go to heaven. You can't live a rogue, rebellious life, a life subversive to the teaching of Jesus and expect to go to heaven. That's the bottom line. And then you need to confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, that Jesus is who He claimed to be, the Son of God. Now listen, please, very carefully. If you want to go to heaven, you have to be baptized into Christ. Why? So that all your sins can be washed away. Well, how do I know that? Because on Pentecost Day, Peter said to those people who were in Jerusalem, he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the remission of your sins. Do you remember Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved? Somebody says, well, the Lord Jesus really didn't mean that. Really? He didn't mean it. Can you imagine somebody saying that baptism is not essential when Jesus said baptism and salvation go hand in hand? Who am I to come along and say you don't have to be baptized into Christ? Baptism is for salvation, Mark 16, 16. It is for the remission of sins, Acts 2, 38. It is for the washing away of sins, Acts 22, 16. When we're baptized into Christ, we are placed in the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Now, why do I need to be in the church? Because Jesus is the Savior of the church, Ephesians 5, 23. So if I am in Christ and if I am in His church, I'm among the saved. 
I've been liberated from sin. What then is the expectation? How can I make sure I'm ready for the judgment? Be faithful till death. Just live for the Lord day in and day out. He's not asked us to do something that's impossible. Once we become a child of God, does that mean that we're perfect, infallible, we never make a mistake? Absolutely not. We are imperfect beings who are living for the Lord Jesus and basking in the cleansing of His precious blood. So as long as we're walking in the light, the assurance is His blood is washing away our sins. So I want you to think about it for a moment. Paul is picturing that great judgment day. And we're all there. Our name is called. We stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and we're judged. And we hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what it's all about. It's all about hearing him say, well done, enter into the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Don't you want to go to heaven? I mean, don't you want to go to heaven? Don't you want to be with, with people that you've known and loved through the years? Don't you want to be in a place free from sorrow and sickness and death? Don't you want to be in the presence of God one day? Sure you do. So what do you need to do? Exactly what I said a moment ago, what the Bible says to do. Look, if we do what God says, if we follow Him day in and day out, I can tell you this, He'll keep His promises. The Bible says that those of us who belong to Him, we live in hope of life eternal. We have the hope of life eternal waiting. It's not maybe so, think so, hope so, but rather it is absolutely certain. So today, we close by asking this question. Are you ready for the judgment day as we stand and sing?